SMQBs. This is episode 84. You are going to be happy you tuned into this. We have a special guest tonight, Dr. Greg Oshanik, comes on to talk about the whole Tua situation with the Miami Dolphins. I guarantee you this is going to be the best, most accurate information you've heard on this topic since the story has been going on. You're not going to want to miss this. We also cover our Plaxico Locks, little MLB college football, some punchable faces, and a really nice Ted Lasso. Check us out. Leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening. SMQBs, this is episode 84. This is going to be a really special episode. I promise you guys are going to love this. Uh, we have a, quite a treat. But before we get to that, I'm going to introduce this number 84 with a couple of his own quotes, because they are some good ones. First of all, he said, quote, I was a terrible student. I didn't graduate magna cum laude. I graduated thank you, Lottie. And then his second great, great quote is we were so poor a robber once broke into our house and we ended up robbing the robber this <laughs> number 84 was a tight end tight end, tight end. Savannah, how do you not antonio pick randy brown. moss savannah hmm. state antonio brown That's <laughs> what he, said. <laughs> he was a seventh he was a seventh round pick three-time super bowl champion four-time first team all pro Eight-time Pro Bowler. When he retired, was he, he a broadcaster now? What year he did is? he retire? Shannon he Sharp. Shannon Sharp. Yes, thank you, Shannon Sharp. Milk, That's a good one. Milk. This was your. This was age appropriate for you. I'm disappointed. That I, you I, I, I should have known that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should have. So yeah, um, you know, he retired with the most receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns for a tight end at the time that he retired. Wow. And he was the 192nd pick overall. Wow. So Almost Randy Moss was Randy Moss was right up there. Savannah so State? Lover. Did he go there? You said? Yeah, Savannah State. That's crazy. That's right. Well, look, fortunately, we don't have to talk about NFL quarterbacks this week. So uh, that's good for me. Rooster, <laughs> why don't you uh, introduce our special guest and let's get into it? I will. I will. Um, the whole, the whole uh, sports world is talking about how the Miami Dolphins and the NFL concussion protocol failed Tua recently. And rather than being a bunch of uh, know-nothing pretend experts talking about this, we thought we'd bring to you one of the world's preeminent experts in brain injury, Dr. Gregory O'Shanick, who um, is with us today. And uh, uh, Dr. O'Shanick has been the medical director of the Center for Neurorehabilitative Services since 1991. He was the first national medical director of the Brain Injury Association of America, where he served in that capacity in an active role from 1996 to 2010, and has stayed on uh, um, as as the uh, as the emeritus director of the BIAA. 
Um, without further ado, I'd like to uh, thank you, Dr. Oshanik, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you. Um, the NFL has had a concussion protocol since 2011, which, in in my view, has been flawed in that it leaves too much of the decision-making process up to a team doctor who's got an inherent conflict of interest when it comes to player safety and health. But even so, before this whole Tua episode, they the protocols called for the NFL doctors to prohibit a player from returning to a game if the player displays, quote, gross motor instability, end quote, among other signs of traumatic brain injury. Um, I know you've blogged about this Tua incident, and so you're familiar with it. Can you tell the listeners what you saw from the September 25th game Sunday against the Bills when Tua got pushed backwards, got up, grabbed his head, and stumbled? Sure. From a, from a clinical perspective, what were you seeing? Yeah, from a clinical perspective, um, it, it, it back in the day when we used to watch boxing, professional boxing um, on on TV or whatever, uh, it wasn't un uncommon when a boxer would be punched to see them become, quote, rubber legged. We would see them kind of lose the tone in their lower extremities. Um, what we see with Tua is after he impacts the ground, he is there for a second, he gets up, he kind of shakes his head um, to kind of get his bearings. And then he takes a few steps and he loses tone in his lower extremities. Now, there was no stumbling, there was no tripping, there was no no um toe kind of uh tripping on the turf anything of that nature he literally just loses muscle tone very similar to what we used to see back 40 50 years ago in in boxing matches and this would have been he would have been given a standing 10 count were he in a boxing ring by the referee there was no there was no referee there to give him a standing 10 count right but there were two offensive linemen there who were alarmed enough to grab him and hold him up and wave for the team doctor to come out immediately. That is precisely the precisely it. And, you know, it was the team's awareness. It was his colleagues awareness that, that noticed his, his stumbling, even, even Tua himself wasn't even as aware of, you know, and they caught him to prevent him from, from being injured further at that point. Somebody should have thought of it. Nope, he never touched his back. He never did any indication that there was any type of back injury or neck injury or any any type of musculoskeletal problem. Um, somebody was sleeping at the switch. Somebody merely was was not paying attention to what was going on, which is pretty much the undertone of this entire episode. Should he been allowed back into that game after halftime? Well, ideally, no. I mean, clearly, whatever whatever transpired in terms of the independent uh, evaluation, clearly, whatever transpired in terms of the uh, team physician, clearly, whoever was in the booth watching from above and and monitoring what was occurring, any one of those individuals at any point could have pulled the plug and said, "No, we need to we need to get more data." But to let him go back in is really, according to protocol, absolutely contraindicated. It's also a situation where in other 
cases, teammates have stepped up as well and have blocked other players from going in and saying, hey, you know, you don't you need to take a take a knee on this one. You don't need to be going back. Somebody didn't get to do what they needed to do to protect a teammate. What were the pressures? What was going on? You know, financial otherwise. But at the end of the day, you left a 24-year-old young man whose brain isn't fully developed to be vulnerable to be hit and injured again, as we saw happen less than 96, well, 96 hours later. You know, you mentioned that, and I'm sure most listeners hear you say a 24-year-old brain is not fully developed, and they and they say, what? what how, how long until the frontal lobes are finished developing in a typical male? Uh, in a typical male, they're not fully developed until 25. Uh, and in some studies, some people even say up to 26. Um, the amount of energy that we as parents have to put forth in terms of organizing, supervising, coordinating our children's behavior relates to the development of their frontal lobes from birth until age 24, 25. And yeah, when you get to be 24, 25, are you worried about feeding and clothing and things of that nature? No, but there are higher, more sophisticated kinds of discussions and and types of decision-making, problem-solving, planning, long-term projections that become involved in, in one's frontal lobe analytic capacity and needing to make a factor analysis, not just in terms of the here and now, not just in terms of what are my immediate needs, but what are my long-term needs? What are the things that I need to be aware of down the road in terms of my health, my safety, the safety of my family, the the safety of, of my career, things of that nature? So clearly he should not have been allowed back into the Bills game. And then, unfortunately, the Dolphins have their their next game come up four days later. They're playing the Thursday night game against the Bengals, and they've got a 24-year-old quarterback who's had clear signs of a neurological deficit with, you know, r- like you say, rub- rubber legs and loss of balance and, you know, things that are things that are much more observable than some of the typical symptoms of, of a brain injury. Um, if this was your patient, would, would you have advised that he not start the, or not play in the Thursday night game? Oh, without question, without question. And I've, I've advised, you know, my, my patients for the past, you know, 40 years of my career to not do that. Um, this, this was so reminiscent of, of the battles that we fought in the mid nineties, uh, in terms of convincing people that concussive injuries, and if you had one concussive injury, you're more, you know, three to four times more vulnerable to get a second one because your reaction times were slower, your vestibular um, abilities were lessened, your eye-hand coordination was less, your ability to scan, your depth perception was off, um, you were visually dependent so that your ability to um, keep your balance as you were shifting in a dynamic way, all of those things were less you were less um, uh, facile with, you were less able to do it immediately. Um, And you were just then a sitting duck. And this is exactly what then we saw happen. Um, One of the interesting things I want to go back and, and comment on though, at the end of the game though, you know, Tua still reached out and hugged the, um, Dolphins or not the Dolphins, but the, the, um, the quarterback, the Bills quarterback and gave him a hug to console him 
at the end of the game. I mean, that shows that this is a kid who does have heart. He does have caring. He does have humanity. And yet nobody gave him that same kind of humanity. Nobody gave him that same kind of opportunity at that time. Yeah. So we've all seen this picture that is behind me, uh, which comes up from the Thursday night game. And, uh, you know, a lot of the commentators, a lot of the NFL people were saying, oh, we've never seen anything like that before, which is complete BS because we have seen another quarterback in 2017 exhibit the exact same you know, signs of a uh, brainstem injury. A guy named Tom Savage, quarterback for the Houston Texans, was thrown down in a similar way, did not hit his head, but shook his brain violently. And immediately his fingers are in this position that looks like they're all dislocated. What do you call that? That's called a discerebrate response. This is not, emphasize not, a fencing position. And individuals who call it a fencing position are being inaccurate. Fencing position is called is the asymmetric tonic neck response. It's where the the child, the infant, has their arm extended, their head or the extended arm, the other arm is over their head. It is designed so that the child, the infant is hardwired to be in a position to nurse. And the arm is around the mom, their head is facing toward the mom's breast, their other arm is out of the way. It is an automatic reflex that is just hardwired into the child's, the child's brain. Now, that's not a particularly effective way to go through life, every time you turn your head that your arm goes out. So eventually we have a top-down maturation of our brain. And as our brain matures, we're able then to overcome that. When we have brain injury to the front part of our brain, we lose that ability or correction, we overcome that ability. But if there is a damage, then that reappears. What we have here with Tua is a decerebrate response. That is a more primitive brainstem response. So that it's coming from the the basic core, if you want to call it the reptilian brain, that's where it's coming from. And so this demonstrates just the severity of the impact that he had. You know, why, the is glass- that, why is that more concerning to you as a physician than say something that might indicate a frontal lobe injury? Well, the, it's it's talks. It speaks to the location of the injury, it speaks to damage to pathways that are more primary to the moving up in the midbrain, up in the brainstem, and activating the cortex of the brain. The Glasgow Coma Score is the score that EMTs and physicians and ER docs use internationally to measure the severity of a traumatic brain injury. It was developed in 1974 by two neurosurgeons. If you look at motor response, it looks at eye-opening, motor response, and verbal response. The motor response goes from six, the patient obeys commands, to one, no response whatsoever. Getting a score of two is the abnormal extension, the decerebrate posture that Tua was displaying. And that, if you carry and give him the best scores possible on verbal, which would be he was completely oriented to time, place, and person, which is not likely, that would give him a five. And you give him spontaneous eye opening, the best possible score, which would be a four. 
that would give him a four, five, nine plus two, that's 11. That puts him in a moderate range of a traumatic brain injury. That is not a concussion. That is a significant injury to his brain. That is one that carries a risk of incomplete recovery three times worse at one year than a simple concussive injury. So what we saw demonstrated there is, is far more significant. And you know, as I commented on when I did the sportsedtv.com blog, it's, it's critical that we not lose, lose the, the perspective of, of this young man, 24 years old. And yeah, football is important to him. Football is, is, a, is, a, is a way of his earning his living, but it is far more important to look at in the context of who this kid was, is. This is a kid who reached out to a fellow competitor and comforted that fellow competitor. And, and, and again, this is a very serious injury. It is not just a mild injury. I'm sorry. We've got the data to prove it. So just for the lay people understanding, lay person understanding, am I correct in saying that what you're saying is he's exhibiting symptoms of, of, in, of damage or injury to a primitive part of the brain, the brain stem area that is harder to damage than the frontal lobes and other more developed areas of the brain? Absolutely. You know, when, when you have a, quote, concussion, also known as a mild traumatic brain injury, 70% of the time, it's the front part of the brain. And we know that, thankfully, most individuals who develop, who have a concussion, do, in fact, improve and do, in fact, get back to baseline. You know, that's the whole reason for the, the return to play kind of protocols that we have for our high school students and our college students and our professional professional players. But when you have a more significant injury to brainstem, that then portends A, a more significant force has been imparted to the brain, that more damage to the delicate extensions called axons can, can have been imparted to other regions of the brain with disconnection. And that then creates more risk for that type of slowed processing speed, that uh, delayed communication of one part to the other, problems with eye-hand coordination, visual spatial analytic abilities, your ability to judge distances, timing, all of those types of things. So do we even have a protocol for return to play for this kind of a moderate brain injury as opposed to a mild brain injury, concussion type injury? Um, there is not, you know, again, the way that the protocol is designed um, by the NFL, you know, number one is symptom limited activity. Phase two is aerobic exercise. With aerobic exercise, with increased heart rate, there is oftentimes an increase in symptoms once reach it, once a person reaches a certain heart rate because the the vascular system has lost the automatic response 
to um, slowing down how much blood it lets into the intracranial cavity. So it's called autoregulation. So you lose autoregulation. And so there's a certain threshold. So if, you're, if your peak um, heart rate should be say 170, you may at 130 all of a sudden start developing headaches or nausea or those types of things. That is something where you would be more likely to find abnormalities in a situation like this. Like, can I can I jump Phyllis, in? Yeah, go ahead and jump in, fellas. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, doctor. I, I have a couple questions. You said so, so many fascinating things. I was trying to take some notes. Um, first of all, I think we've gotten sloppy, and it's and listening to you has reminded me of it, of talking about a concussion all the time. When in fact, this is far more extreme than a concussion. What what two has suffered? Is that a fair statement? That's absolutely a fair statement. You know the the. The event that he suffered in the um, in, in the initial injury, maybe logically one might ter- determine that to be a concussion, depending on what was found. This second one, without question, is not, in my opinion, a simple concussion, a mild traumatic brain injury. Okay, so you anticipated my next question, which was, what was the first one? But now that now that we're at, uh, well, let me let me ask this question. Given the first incident, is the severity of the second hit, is that uh, amplified because of the first injury? We know there's a multiplying effect. And, you know, it's, you know, Chris, it's not, it's not really any significant difference than if somebody has a partially torn ACL and they go out there and they get hit when they're and and their knee isn't able to be stabilized what's going to happen they're going to get a full thickness tear and so you know brains are they're more complicated admittedly but it's the same thing if you've not had a chance to fully recover from your injury the vulnerability is is multiplied now there's individual variation we know from a genetic standpoint and all sorts of other factors that we still haven't characterized. But yeah, within a within a, a five day period, four day period, sure, your your yeah. brain is still in a hypermetabolic state. It's there's a mismatch between the amount of energy it needs and the amount of energy it's actually able to get. So I want to ask one more, and then and then see anybody else wants to jump in here. But my next question is for somebody who's had an injury similar to what Tua experienced uh, the sec- after the second hit. What is the recovery timeline and what, what is, I mean, of course you can't diagnose this person, not examined them, but someone like this, what does a person who's had this injury have to worry about moving forward for their health? Well, very simply with, with a moderate traumatic brain injury, instead of th- seeing that 10 to 15% of people with a mild traumatic brain injury may have persistent symptoms at one year, you're looking at closer to 40% having persistent symptoms at one year. So you're looking at three times the the likelihood of of ongoing symptoms. Those things are life-changing in terms of how they impact the person in terms of their functional activities as a human, in in their world as a family, things of that nature. Now, fortunately for for NFL players, they are able to to purchase many services that allow them to use their brain power to 
to play on the field. They're allowed to, they, they have, they have resources that they can, they can have people plan their, their money and finances and, and take care of bill paying. They've got people that can do their grocery shopping. They've got people that can do their, 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 um, uh, other types of household care and things of that nature, as opposed to just mere mortals that have to do all that stuff and juggle all those energy costs. So to some degree, they're, they're more protected and it looks, it looks easier for them, but it's not, they just have more support. And then when, when they go back, you know, they train 40 hours a week in terms of team meetings and, and viewing films and coaching and looking at notebooks and all of that to play an hour and a half in their position on a, on a, on a game day. And each time they run off the field, they're getting job coached. They're getting cued in terms of things and, 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 and managed in terms of giving additional information. Their, their abilities to manage with cognitive difficulties is much different than the average bear. So much different. And it's something that the, the public simply doesn't recognize. Well, let's hope Tua is in the 60%, but we really shouldn't expect him back anytime soon, should we? I think that that it would be in his best interest. You know, I mean, they've already they've already said he's not going to be back this week. You know, if, if as I often say to to many of my patients, if I were king, I mean, if I were king, he'd be sitting out the rest of the season to be able to completely heal and know that there's no question that he is stable and good to go. Um, you know, he is much more important in terms of his brain ultimately down downstream than, than, um, than just this season. Um, and, you know, to some degree, there's some indication, I guess, that, that maybe some other people might realize that. Go ahead, Pope. Yeah, doctor. Uh, this is really fascinating. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in Dallas and, uh, Troy Aikman retired, uh, ultimately, uh, although he disputes this, but at the time, you know, he definitely said a history of concussions. Uh, in fact, in one game, NFC championship game, he got rattled so bad. They asked him where he was and he said he was in Henrietta, Oklahoma, which is his, where he was born. I'm wondering, do you think that even though we're struggling with the Tua situation, have, have we come a distance from back in the, you know, mid nineties. I mean, has technology and science helped us uh, deal with these better now than back then? You know, Brian, I think it's, it's whenever you're talking a billion dollar industry, that's where things get cloudy. Um when when I'm looking at my high school kids or my collegiate kids that come through, you know, the calculus is pretty easy in terms of keeping them out because most of these kids aren't going to be going on to any kind of professional sports. And the, and the calculus is, you know, you need your brain for things down the road. You need to be able to do all these things. And, and talking to them about, first and foremost, we're going to get you to baseline. We are going to get you to baseline and we're going to see how long it takes you to get to baseline. And once we get you to baseline, then we're going to have a discussion about the indicators that you need to pay attention to if you go out and get injured again and how you need to come and let us know immediately. Because the sooner we know and the sooner we can pull you and the sooner we can treat you, the more, the more rapidly you can recover. 
It's when people hide it. It's when people kind of keep it on the QT that they risk additional injury and additional burden. These players are getting paid so much that they're faking their baseline testing so that if they do get a head injury, they can get back in sooner. Absolutely. They're being aided by the teams and the doctors on that. Yeah. Yeah. That brings up a good question. I mean, there's the, the players and the doctors are completely misaligned on this issue. The players want to get out back on that field. Always. They never want to believe that they have to come out and, so how you know you're in a game situation, it's going fast, you you maybe have a have a, a quick how hard is it for these doctors in these in, in these moments to determine whether or not even a concussion has been has taken place if the player is most likely a lot of the times trying to hide it? You know, there may not be truthful. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, there are there are methods and are exam techniques that that I've used, you know, first off, I have never been on the sidelines of an NFL game and examined folks. Okay. Um, and there's a story behind that, but, um, but, you know, when I'm on the sidelines of a, a high school sport or other kind of, of other type of, of, uh, athletic amateur sports, there are things that you can do that bring it home to this, the, the athlete that they're injured. And it makes it incontrovertible that it ain't normal. One of the very simple things that that I've done for 25, 30 years is something called a Fukuda stepping test. It's predicated on the fact that if you, it's a dynamic balance test. It's not the balance error scoring system that, that was developed at UNC, but it basically, it's, it was developed in the late 50s. And it's predicated on the fact that you know there's visual, depend, there's visual um, strategies vestibular strategies and proprioceptive strategies, position sense strategies that we use to keep our balance. And so you blindfold the individual, you have them stand with their arms out in front of them, and you have them march for 60 seconds like they're in the marching band. And if they rotate to either degree, either side with more than 40 degrees, that's an abnormal test. Well, in many of these cases, I've had I've had kids do a 180. Wow. Okay. And so if somebody turns 180 doing this and you blindfold them and they look around, they go and they're stunned. There's no question. Yeah. There's no question that, that they need to come out. There's no question that there's a problem. And if the parents are standing there watching, if coaches are standing there watching, there's no question that this person is visually dependent and that their balance is off. So, you know, those kinds of things can be done that, that prevent, you know, fudging some of the data milk you hit the nail on the head though because as i as i read the nfl protocol it if the team's medical staff in their subjective opinion believes that the player is at risk of having suffered a concussion then they're required to do a focused neurological exam well in this case Tua comes off the field and says oh no no it was my back the medical staff who are aligned with the team and want to get the guy right back out there, they could say, well, we believed him. So they, at that point, they don't even have to do the focused neurological exam. There's no objective now criteria. Now they're ignoring this clear evidence that they saw on the field of a, of a neurological deficit when he stood up and couldn't keep his legs on. 
Sure. That's ridiculous. They're, they're believing a 24 year old who's, who's saying whatever he needs to say to get back in the game so that they don't have to do the testing well, under the tent. Well, and, and much less, you know, if you ask somebody, have you been knocked out? Nobody knows if they've been knocked out. Right. 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 I mean, they might right. not even know that. Yeah. That's, you know, that's it's, it's an observation from somebody else. Right. Doc, and, let me ask you a question about the, the two injuries. Cause, um, I've heard a lot commented on so far. I think we're lucky to have you on today. This is the clearest anyone I've heard so far about this entire episode. But if I'm understanding you right, the first injury in the Bills game was a different part of the brain, a different brain injury than the second injury. And my question is, um, while the first injury in the Bills game might have hurt his motor skills and made him less able to manage the field 96 hours later is is one injury related to the other did one injury make him more susceptible to have the second one the short answer is probably yes mm-hmm. it's you know we know that that you know there's so much inter- interconnectivity and that after a concussion, the three things that the four things that go wrong are you have problems with multitasking, you have problems with how fast you think, you have problems with your short-term memory, and you have problems with your organization and planning. Now, again, if you've got an overlearned behavior, these things become, if you will, more reflexive. But if you are in a novel situation, then you've got to more consciously think and process and it becomes maybe less patterned that's where the vulnerability arises okay and so yeah that's that really does set up for the next event which is which is why you know back in the days of boxing if somebody was rubber legged like he was after the first game they would take him out because he wouldn't be able to get his arms up to protect himself he wouldn't be able to withstand the next punch he would be more looking, of a, a looking at the nature of the impact and the two different uh, plays. It, it looked to me like in the first one, he kind of stumbled backward and he snapped his head and hit the, hit the turf. And the second one though, he was kind of thrown and <laughs> we've had some, some uh, disagreement on the nature of that play. I say it was a little uh, aggressive and should have been a penalty, but it did appear his head snapped possibly in a different way. Would that account for why you think this might be a brainstem versus a frontal lobe uh, the second time? It, it could. It could. I mean, I, I didn't really look and analyze it. And I'm not a biomechanical engineer to, to really understand <laughs> it that way. Um, you know, but clearly, if somebody's reactions are sluggish and slow, you're not going to be able to protect yourself as rapidly. You know, you simply aren't. You're not going to be able. That's that's one of the reasons why old folks, you know, the falls are the number one cause of of brain injuries in people over the age of sixty five. Their reflexes aren't as good. They can't they can't react. They can't you know they can't you know roll and 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 curl to prevent things from occurring. His ability, you know, one's ability to to compensate for it to to cushion in some way, shape, or form is diminished. All right. Well, Greg, we really appreciate your valuable time 
Uh, Amazing thank you stuff. so much. Yeah, this has been fascinating. Yeah, it has been. Yep. And, um, you know, like I said, you're welcome to stay on or not, but um, this has been really illuminating. So thanks a lot. And good questions, guys. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have another discussion sometime about CTE and that entire, you know, yeah. aspect yeah, of the football right now. I'd love to, I'd love to come back and, and do that. I'd love to come back, talk about the difference between men and women. Um, I mean, there's a whole host of things. Um, and, you know, I, I will also just add, you know, um, on Sunday, Cameron Brait went back in. Um, I was about to bring that up, by the way. And, and you know, I mean, are you kidding me? You know, he came back out, but it was, but it was, I was, that's what initiated my question. He got concussed, came off, then he went back, then he came back yeah. off again. It was, I mean, you know, so there is a serious problem in terms of how people are executing the protocol. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not, it doesn't appear to be the bottom line being the protection of the player and the protection of the person, you know, and that is at the end of the day, having seen the ravages of, of Ray Easterling and other people, um, you know, it's heartbreaking when you get to the end end game like that. And we need to do everything in our power to prevent that. Ray, Ray Easterling uh, played for the, for the Falcons, but retired to Richmond. Yep. Yeah. He was a university of Richmond um, co uh, college athlete. Wonderful guy. Sad, sad story. Thanks again, Doc. It's Thank awesome, you, Doctor. Thank you, Thank Thank you, you very Dr. much, Dr. Shannon. Appreciate it. Y'all take care. All right, Greg. Thank you. Uh, bye, bye. You know, guys, there there was one thing that that he said that I didn't bring bring up with him, and and Rooster, thanks for lining that up. That was really yeah, that, that was, was amazing. That was amazing. It was great. It was outstanding. Um, but there was something he said that that I wrote down, and he said, "Where are the teammates?" You know. This is a collective problem. I mean, look, I, I disagree with you guys a little bit about the doctors on the sidelines and the objective criteria. I mean, I, I think I understand the point is that it's too loosey-goosey. It gives it gives the teams an, an out for letting guys go back into the game. We know the players want to go in. These doctors, they they need to be the grown-ups in the room, though. They need to they need to stay there and tell a kid. No, 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 no. Don't tell me it's your fucking back. That wasn't your back. We know that's not your back. And, and, oh, oh and I totally to agree with that. I totally yeah, agree. It's with their that. job. It's their job. But but I thought so it much was pressure on them too, though. Oh, but that's what they're doing there. And you know what? If they can't if they can't make the right call on an NFL sideline, how are they going to make it in an operating room or an emergency room? You know, just because the Cowboys or the or the the Bucks or whoever are giving them you know contract. But but it was interesting, though, about the teammates. And, you know, maybe it's going to take a 24-year-old's career being ruined. And do any of those teammates sit there and wonder, I should have I said something. I should have stopped him. I should have jumped in. And how do we get to a point where those guys feel empowered to do that? Because, you know, the, the players, these are the guys that have got to live with this at the end of the day. It's not going to well, change. I, I was yeah. really struck, though, by the two offensive linemen who ran. One of them ran up to Tua, could see that his legs were buckling under him to get his arms around him. And then the other one just held him up from the side. And they were immediately waving for the team doctor. They 
they recognized what the team doctor failed to recognize. And there's something wrong with that. Yeah. It's, it's not going to change. The culture of sport in America is to win, win at all costs. And I can tell you that, you know, in the sport that I was in for a long time in middle school and high school wrestling, it is a rampant problem that in order to wrestle at a certain weight class, you have to get certified. Starve yourself. Well, you have to get certified by a doctor as to what weights you're allowed to wrestle at. If I could tell you the number of doctors who fudge and say, yeah, this kid probably can get down to that weight and it's unsafe. And why? Because they want to be associated with a culture of winning. And that's going to keep happening in all of these sports and most more than anything else, football. I mean, the number of basketball players who play with a heart injury still after Hank yep. gathers the yep. number of football players who play after concussions, the culture of winning is not going to change. And it's, and it's, and it was happening long before they even knew about concussions. I mean, the reason for pain is the body's telling you there's a problem. If you mask the pain, then you're going to get injured worse because you don't realize there's a problem. And back in the sixties and seventies, let's shoot these guys up. Oh with, Yeah lidocaine and novocaine and they like ruin yeah. their knees and their shoulders for life but i'll tell you what rooster amazing job i, I meant it when i said it. i've heard a lot of pundits on this so far it has n- not been so clearly and cleanly explained medically as this guy did and i hope our listeners after hearing it will share it with somebody else because people should hear this episode about the tua situation yeah the, yeah. the thing with the the thing with his Fingers. I mean, people have called it posturing as well. I didn't get around to asking him if that was an accurate description of it, but that, that is a sign of a much big worse injury than oh, yeah. what we think of when we think well, of he was, he was counting Alabama championships on his hands. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Oh. No, but, but, but there's but, another but puncher face the week. There was <laughs> yeah. the you're, you're right though. And, and, you know, the, the difference between saying, oh, he had a concussion and shouldn't have gone back in the game and what Tua actually had and is suffering from now. I mean, it, we're we're getting not we here, but collectively we are getting lazy and sloppy in return in recall or excuse me, referring to every head injury as merely a concussion. There are well, things far worse than that and what Tua experienced is far worse than a concussion. We also need to be careful though about poo-pooing concussions because CTE is nothing more than a series of concussions. And there is a minority, there are a minority of people who do not recover from regular concussions in a short period of time. That's right. That's right. I agree with that. Well, I I thought his explanation of the different nature of his second injury was fascinating. I haven't seen that anywhere. Read the brainstem. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Um, we did just finish week four uh, of the NFL. We got to keep it pretty brief. Um, Pope, give us one thing you want to mention on, on the NFL. We're going to do this in a speed, speed round fashion and then get to the locks. Well, I mean, I, I can't avoid uh, the topic that we've been texting about for the last uh, day or so, and that is the faux quarterback controversy in Dallas. Uh, 
Oh, there's there is one. Very real. Very real. It's very real. Anti-cowboy faction. Anti-cowboy faction is so strong in you boys. I just love it. I love it. This is this is better than what we expected from Cooper Rush, but ultimately he's a he's a bus driver. We'll probably find that out in the Los Angeles game. Um, you know, it's I, I, it's a great test for him, but this is Dak's team. They either go to the Super Bowl with Dak or they don't. Uh, beating Washington and beating um, New York are expected based on this team last year. They had no problem with either one of those teams. That's great, you know, but Cooper Rush is not the guy to lead them to the promised land. I'm telling you, there is no quarterback controversy here. Undefeated, 4-0. And, and Dak, Dak is not the quarterback to lead him to the promised land either, so whatever. <laughs> hey, uh, Rooster, Rooster, what do you got real quick on the NFL? My 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 take right now is that the records, team records, uh, are don't tell the truth right now about what teams are good and what teams are bad. There are three, in my view, there are three teams with great records that are great teams: the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Bills. Eagles. You got teams like the Giants, three and one. The Giants threw for seventy-one yards against the Bears. That's not wow. a great team. They're wow. they're they're three and one by luck. The Rams probably are going to go to three and one. I haven't seen anything from the Rams. I, I just think we have a lot of mediocre, mediocre teams this year. Uh, there, there's not a lot of cream at the top like there there has been in the past years. Uh, Bills got lucky that the Ravens had their second massive collapse at home. Yep. Bills should have lost that game down twenty by, to three. No excuse. By, by the way, by the way, the Bucks would be in third place in the NFC East. <laughs> oh wow wow what a zinger oh wow how do you come back well, with from that, that milk you, you guys segue, milk, you're up yeah you smell blood in the water don't you uh-huh you, you're swarming but to my me. point to my point would anyone here argue that the bucks that the giants are going to go farther than the bucks this year i don't think so no 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 my 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 takeaway i'll focus on the bucks and is the chiefs are they are the cream. I mean, that is an unbelievable. I, I, I've never seen us other than maybe that game in 2020 when we played them. I think actually the score doesn't indicate how bad we got beat last night. I mean, it was a beating from literally the first play where we fumbled. Um, Mahomes, like A plus, 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 plus effort. He's a but maestro right now. I've never so- seen anything like it. I mean, there were times where I was like, okay, fine. There's our sack. And he got out of it. And that touchdown he threw, I mean, he was all, I mean, he was doing the magician shit. Like I, I, I it was I'm glad he unreal. played so well against, I'm glad he played so well against Indy the week before and they were yeah. so dominant. Yeah. yeah I've knocked everybody out of the, they can only beat yeah, themselves. It's a crazy year. It's a crazy year. Um, the Bucks don't give up on the Bucks. Just, I saw some, I saw our defense has some obvious issues, but, Tommy looks old. I'll, 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 Tommy, I'll do Tommy didn't play. I'm going to, I'm going to leave, uh, leave house. You're going to get the last word on the NFL. Your team has earned it for you. Uh, I don't really watch oh. football that much anymore. <laughs> I'm a big fan. But I will say this about, about the commanders Cowboys game. Uh, the Cowboys averaged about two yards rushing the ball. Washington lost that game because of some really ill-timed penalties. And, and, uh, Generally, bad time giving up sacks. Um, they outgained Dallas, and 
but for not being able to get the ball in the end zone a few times and just shooting themselves in the foot, you could make an argument they outplayed Dallas in that game. I mean, they out they outgained them. They stopped the running game. Dallas couldn't do anything on the ground. Uh, that that you can't feel good if you're Dallas coming out. Humor him, Pope. Oh, wow, that was not a good. That was wow. not a good game for Dallas. I don't, I don't know how you just said when that. You on run, straight face. Pope, when just you run, just let him have that little moment. I think he's no, being no, serious. when you run Zeke I, up I am the being middle, serious. over Holy and over shit. again. You're going to get two yards and a cloud of dust. And that's what we he get when you run Zeke. Look, I think we're horrible. And no, your defense is was, not bad. And that was much closer than the score showed. You you should not feel good coming out of that game. Uh, no, and, and again, that's my that's my whole point, guys. Is that Cooper Rush was able to beat Washington? Yay! Well, we fucking beat him last year. Cooper Rush is not going to the next level. He's throwing darts, brah. House, what do you what do you got? Your Eagles are still uh, still flying high. I I I, I want to say it pains me, but I agree with everything that milk said. Uh, I think we're very lucky to be watching the most creative athletic quarterback that has ever played football together. The most creative and athletic quarterback, the throws he makes are legendary. And I think while the chiefs demolish them, I don't think the bucks are that bad, but I am scared of what I'm seeing out of the Eagles right now. I don't even know what to do with it. The Jags had allowed 55 yards on the ground per game. They were the number one rushing defense team in the league. And then all the Eagles did was go out and run 210 yards on the ground. They, every single different phase that other teams are throwing at them, they're figuring out, they're beating them. They have a coach who's adjusting in game. They're winning on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. Injuries are going to be the only thing that really gets in the way. They might've, uh, had a setback to Darius Slay. They might've had a setback to their left tackle, Jordan Mailata. So I'm worried about them facing an offensive quarterback and Kyler Murray next week. He's due to have an eye popping game and that whole setup of offensive quarterback, uh, running quarterback, Kyler versus Jalen uh, is, is wearing me next week, but I don't, I don't even know what to do with this right now. They, they look good. Imagine if uh, if Mahomes had the Eagles wide receiving core. My God. Yeah. I got a question. All right. have- so, House, what about the Jags? You got to see them. You know, we were we were wondering, are they real or not? They're real. Their defense is real. They, they have a very, very good defense. Um, while Lane Johnson shut down the number one overall pick, Tracy Walker, he's very talented. I think. It was it, these were sloppy conditions, and the girl just couldn't hold the ball. But the girl had what four fumbles? Four fumbles. He couldn't hold the ball. Um, but they're real. They were missing Zay Jones, so they were able to really key in on Christian Kirk. The, the conditions really don't tell you. The yeah. Jags, the Jags are going to get close to five hundred this year. I mean, it was downpouring rain. Yeah, it was. It was rough. It was not just. It was, it was not just a little. Yeah. It was, Oh, right. is that part Milk. of the storm? Wow. Milk, you had something. You you wanted to get something. In no, there. I just wanted to know if House had uh, more more seltzers than Trevor Lawrence had <laughs> <laughs> that game. House, House, take us to the locks. Give us where are we with our locks? Well, um, we we had a banner week for us. I mean, to go four and one as a pod is pretty impressive. Um 
Bison uh, just um, was not impressed enough with the birds, so he lost on the Jags plus six and a, six and a half. But Milk and Pope won with the Cowgirls, and Rooster won with the Giants, and I held on with the Vikes because of a double doink. And so I'm three and one. Milk, Pope, and Rooster are two and two. And Bison is pulling up the rear in one and three, but he can get off the schneid after three consecutive losses. Bison, kick us off. I'm taking the Packers, giving eight to the Giants, because I do not believe in the oh. Giants. Wow. It's a lot giving of points. Eight. Giving eight, huh? Eight. Wow. Damn. All right. Uh, pack minus eight. Milk, what do you got? Uh, let me see here. Hmm. Oh, there's the commanders. I'll take the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, funny. What's the line in that one? Two and a half. Titans minus two and a half away. Uh, <laughs> my new strategy. Um, not a bad one. I'm not arguing with it. Pope, what do you have there? I'm I'm going. Uh, I'm going to the. Uh, the land of milk on this one. And I'm taking the bucks giving eight to the, to the Falcons. I think it's going to be Tommy Brady back, back in the saddle week. Uh, I like that. Bet. I don't know that Brady's uh, ever like lost that. three games in a row. Um, So I, I like the bucks there. I think, by the way, I think Marcus Mariota had seven completions in a game that they won <laughs> yesterday. And Cordell Patterson could be out. It's the uh, right, right, right. Rooster. Well, this may jinx you, but I'm going Eagles, given five cards. Tough on the road. That's a trap game. That's a trap game. Tough on the road. I think the Cardinals Looking ahead to the Cowboys. Um, I think the Saints are one of the worst teams I've seen in a very long time. I don't care whether it's Red Rifle, Jameis. I don't Taysom Hill. They are atrocious. And the re- Invigoration, the Gino. rise, the resurrection of Gino, Gino Smith. Gino Smith. He's betting on Gino. Uh, oh getting the Seahawks getting are getting at the top. Seahawks are getting five and a half. I, I don't know how the Saints could be favored by five and a half over anybody. I think that's way too many points. Seahawks may lose, but not by five and a half. I'll take the Seahawks. Did you see the Lions tight end? He's on my oh, fantasy yeah. team. Hawkinson. Yeah. I got Hawkinson. 36 points from him. He did, He's I on my him, team. I had him last year. He didn't do shit. Yeah, that guy does nothing. He has like 140 yards receiving. Uh, and by the way, House, I'd like an uh, if Zeke needs my cell phone number, email for the apology about. <laughs> oh God! I'll send it over to you. <laughs> oh, by the way, I just gotta say this last thing on the NFL. Who is the first rookie quarterback to throw a touchdown this year? Oh, it's Zap Zappy, yes. whatever. Bailey Zappy of Western Kentucky. Yeah. He's the first rookie quarterback to throw a touchdown this year. Yeah. Speaks volumes of All the right. quarterback draft. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> it looked that All right. Anybody got anything else? Nothing else on NFL. All right. Milk, you got 30 seconds on college football. Big story is Bryce Young, injury. Pope, you tell us what's what's the latest with him? Uh, Nick said he's day to day today. Uh, it's not as severe as it looked at the time. I mean, everybody was thinking separated shoulder, you know, Gary Danielson identifies like oh, I've fallen like that before with his arms a rotator cuff. None of that. Um, he'll be back. But, you know, 
they uh, they replace him with a guy who's just can flat out fly and is number one yeah. quarterback. Um, so Alabama be fine. In fact, I think they found a running game against Arkansas. I feel much better after that game. I I think they're playing. They are playing A and M this weekend. I oh. think favored by three touchdowns. I oh, like I like Bama. I like oh. Bama there. Lay your life on Bama in that game. They're gonna Saban destroy is going to destroy Jumbo. A and M is so bad. Um, look, I have one last thing. We got to talk about Rock Chalk Jayhawk. I love <laughs> Kansas. Let's go, baby. Five and oh, huge game this weekend against TCU. Game Jalen day. Daniels, you guys need to get to know this guy. Quarterback for Kansas. No, thanks. Uh, okay. All right. Um, some good games this weekend. Tennessee's at LSU, Utah, UCLA, UCLA is also that's the good game. Uh, five and oh. Um, yeah, they, UCLA has a tough schedule though for the rest of the year. I think USC could win a lot of games this year. I I want to say something about college football. Go I ahead. am I am pleasantly okay. surprised at the level of competitiveness. I think the ACC has some legit competition in it this year. Maybe not great teams, but but it's not just Clemson. And, and everybody else, Wake is good. NC State isn't bad. Uh, I think the the uh, what is it? The Pac-12 out there in the West is kind of fun again. Maybe college football. Maybe there's a yes. resurgence coming. Yes. Why don't you get back involved, maybe. man? You're missing maybe. some good games. Maybe. I, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, give you sugarcoat here, but it's going to be the Final Four. It's going to look very, very similar to the last five years. <laughs> that I'll fucking continue to hate it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Georgia almost screwed that. I, up. They Milk, I tried. I tried milking fucking Pope over there. You know him and Dak and and the the Cowboys. But to your point, yeah. on a week to week basis, there are fun games to watch. Always are. are. Yeah, it's college football. Give yep. Kansas a chance this weekend. None of you are going to watch that game. TCU is going to destroy them. All <laughs> right. Moving on from college football. Uh, listen, on normal week, we'd be spending a lot more time on baseball because there's a lot going on. We have to at least take a moment, pause and celebrate Aaron Judge hitting number 61 and tying uh, Roger Maris. Uh, it was a fun week. I was at a bunch of Nats games and I was watching the Yankees every at bat on my phone uh, and everybody sort of around me in the stands was watching the at bats, too. Uh, I think it's a big moment for baseball. I think it gives them an opportunity to shake off the uh, the the steroid era uh, cloud that was around him, uh, because now you have a legit sixty one home run hitter. Can he get to sixty two? That's the big that's the big thing we got to see. He needs to. Oh, he's, he's got he Ranger. To. He's got to deal with the Rangers pitching. Suck it, Chad Thomas. How many games? Three, three, three games Baseball left. Baseball games. needs him. Four games. Four games. Four games. Four games. Four games. And if he doesn't hit it tonight, then I will be tomorrow night. Watching him Ooh. in person to see if he can oh, do it. Wow. Good for you. Good SMQB. For you. Are you going to catch it? Are you going to be in the outfield? No, you my seats are too good. In left for that. field, dude. Uh, oh, baseball wow. needs Aaron Judge to get to sixty-two. Yeah. Yes, this yep. they do. It would and be tragic if he push. didn't get another one. Oh yeah, there was a. Uh, and your little... your man Pujols moved into second place on the all-time RBI list. Wow, ahead yeah, of the bay. And and uh, before we leave baseball, Rooster, just a quick question. That comes from cousin Justin for you. What are your thoughts on the twins sitting Luis uh, Ares so that he can uh, steal the batting title from Judge? 
pussy, just like all the all of the pitchers who are walking judge every time he comes up to the bat. Lack of courage, pussies. I love it. I love it. That's I can't, a, wait, that's I can't wait till we have our biggest audience that's, yet for this pod. Thank so you, Doc. And, all, that's, and that's also, the, in case that's the response we were looking for, in, in case in case it didn't come across clearly enough when we were talking about Judge getting sixty-one, suck it, Tad Thomas. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> all right, and one yeah. last thing on baseball. He's, he's in the camp big, of all the juicers. Big sweep by the Braves over the Mets this weekend in Atlanta. Yes. Yeah, totally flip the the East. The Braves. All they have to do is win one. One more game or the Mets lose one and they secure number two seed in National League, which means they get to avoid the Dodgers or Padres until the final uh, championship series. Let me tell you who's not a pussy. You know who's not a pussy? The Miami Marlins. They suck. They suck. They have nothing to play for. They wanted to do one thing and was spoil the Brewers. And they went back to back games coming in late in the game to to knock out the Brewers. Now, thanks to the Marlins, two consecutive wins over the Brewers. The Phillies need to win one over the uh, Astros or the Diamondbacks need to win one over the Brewers. And we're in, baby. I can't believe it. Unreal. October relevance. By the way, Tad, Milk would like you to know that that message was brought to you from the injury board. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. All right. No, 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 no. Punchable faces of the week. Punchable face right there, Milk. Come on, man. All right, who's got a punchable face? I got one. You do. first. You go first. All right. So listen, um, I don't know if anybody knows who Kim Mulkey is, but she's one of of the great uh, uh, women's college basketball coaches. And she was, I guess she was at Baylor when Brittany Griner was there. Uh, They went went 40-0. and One of those years won the national championship with Griner. Uh, and she was her coach and Griner then came out and wrote a book and in the book talked a little bit about some of the trouble she had at Baylor uh, when she, when she uh, was dealing with her sexuality and just some personal, personal issues she had while there. And while very honest and not meant to uh, it wasn't really a, a takedown book, but it did, I, you know, some would say it didn't paint the Baylor program and Coach Mulkey in the greatest light uh, possible. So fast forward, Mulkey, who is a grown-up, an adult, who coaches at the college level, very successfully, by the way, but is there teaching young people about life uh, beyond sports in theory, and I mean in theory, when asked about Brittany Griner, who, as you may recall, is still in Russia, uh, being detained uh, unlawfully, uh, in some view, in our view, um, rather than say the very simple, I really want her to come home, I really wish she would get home soon, she simply commented that she wouldn't be commenting on it. And that oh was my it. Gosh. That was it. 
this is such a small, small person for her to not be able to to wish that this play, this former player, this person, this human being who's in a horrible situation to just say, I hope she can come home to her family and friends soon and instead hold a grudge over a book from years ago. Really, Kim Mulkey. You get a uh, open fist uh, slap to the face this week. By the way, that forty and O season was brought to her in large part by Brittany Griner, and Coach Mulkey parlayed that into a twenty-three point six million dollar contract from LSU. So she owes a lot to Brittany Griner. Wow. Yep. Wow. All right, that's one punchable face down. Next, you guys, uh, who is? Jesse Mirko. Anybody ever heard of him? He's he is from Australia, but yeah, he, he's from Australia. Yeah. Oh, you didn't give me enough time. Oh, <laughs> good one, Rooster. I knew you, you. I knew you had that. But he is also <laughs> the punter for one Ohio State University, and Ohio State, who I just hate. I hate everything about the way the they Ohio play. State. The Ohio State University was beating Piddly Rutgers 49 to 10 with 10 minutes to go in the game. And the ball was snapped to Mirko. And he's an Australian punter and punts rugby style. You guys know how those punters kind of run to the side and then they punt. He ran to the side and saw that there was an opening the way they had their blocking scheme set up and decided that instead of punting the ball up 49-10, he would run 15 yards for a first down. The punter ran for a first down up 49 to 10. So what happened when he got to the sidelines? Rutgers effing clocked him and then knocked him out and started what it turns out that apparently there's a little bit of beef between Ryan day and Greg Schiano. Um, who both used to be assistants on, on uh, Ohio state. Uh, But I just think that's such a talk about a small person. What a petty move to, to run for a first down at 49, 10 as the punter. I got an idea for, I got an idea for Rutgers. How about you tackle the punter and not let him run 49 (laughs) yards. You losers (laughs) make a play. Somebody show up and make a play for fuck's sake. I, I I'm punting that guy. I'm punching that guy to his foot, roughing roughing the punter for sure. I'm so happy. Not running into, but roughing, roughing him. I can't stand him. <laughs> Toes on the yeah, line. Yeah, you have reason. You have a lot of reasons not to like him. Oh, like like three or four years, right? Of not oh. liking him. Oh, pure misery. Yeah. Are we, up, right. are we up to a feel-good story in Lasso? Yeah, we are. It's time we, for Lasso. Because we're going to stay in Australia. And this time we're going to talk about a guy named Joel Selwood. Joel Selwood is the 34-year-old captain of the Geelong Cats of Victoria, Australia, who last week became the champions of Australian rules football, the Australian Football League, which is the biggest sport by far. It is their Super Bowl. And the Geelong Cats won it, and the captain is Joel Selwood. And as they were celebrating on the field, Joel Selwood realized that they were missing one person. And he ran over to the stands, and he grabbed their water boy, 29-year-old Sam Moorfoot, who is a Down syndrome uh, individual, 
and Sam is their water boy. And the captain, Joel Selwood, said, we cannot complete the celebration without Sam. He lifted him up out of the stands, brought him onto the field. They put a medal around his neck. But here's what was awesome. Selwood calls Sam's mom and says, hey, listen, I've got him on the field. And if it's okay with you, we're going to take care of him tonight. He needs to be in the celebration with him. I'll drive him home. So they kept Sam Moorfoot with them celebrating all night. And the captain of the football team, this is like Tom Brady driving home. Like the captain of the championship football team gets in his car and drives the Sam Moorfoot guy home. Now that is humanity. That is a good story in sports. That's a good story. That's a great one. It's a great video if you haven't seen it. Hey, we missed a pour out last week. I just want to make a quick mention of the unfortunate death of uh, Maury Wills, who was a star for the uh, Dodgers in the 60s and 70s and revolutionized the sport. His first guy ever to steal 100 bases in one season. He uh, won three World Series and was the NL MVP in 1962. Cheers to Maury Wills. Cheers to Maury Wills. Cheers. And by the way, on that lasso, thanks to our fan, Rob Jenner for the mailbag nomination of the lasso. We love when our fans nominate lassos and punchable faces. All right. Anybody, anything else? Good show. Rooster. Thanks so much. Thanks to uh, Dr. Shannick for coming on. Uh, Some great stuff on there. Spread the word. SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.